0: Welcome to the workshop, "Diving Deep: Big Book Inventory." My name is Janine. I'm a compulsive overeater and the moderator for this session. Hi. Hi. Before we get begin, would you please turn off your cell phones and pagers? Off, please, or on vibrator silent. Thank you. This workshop is being taped. All opinions expressed by those who share are their own and not necessarily those of OA as a whole. The format of this session is a reading, two speakers, ask-it-basket questions, and sharing on the topic. A basket with paper and pencil will be circulated for you to write any questions you may have for the speakers. Please specify who your um, question is for. The reading is from the big book, page 66. It is plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness. To the precise extent that we permit these, do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile. But with the alcoholic or compulsive overeater, whose hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience, this business of resentment is infinitely grave. We found that it is fatal. For when harboring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit. The insanity of the compulsive eating returns, and we eat again, and with us. To eat is to die. If we live if we were to live, we had to be free of anger. I can't read. The grouch and the brainstorm were not for us. They may be the dubious luxury for normal men, but for the compulsive overeater these things are poison. We turned back to the list for it held the key to the future. We were prepared to look for look at it from an entirely different angle. Our first speaker today is Marcy from Los Angeles, who will speak for 25 minutes.
1: Hi, I'm Marcy. I'm a grateful, compulsive overeater. Thank you. I don't know if Violet's here, but Violet, thank you for asking me to speak at this workshop. Um, Wow. Um, I guess I'll do the qualifying part out of the way, and then maybe I'll be a little less nervous. Um, I've been coming to Overeaters Anonymous for three years and a couple months, and um, I've been abstaining for three years and a couple months. I was blessed with the gift of abstinence the day I came into the room, and um, I'm a 100 pounder. I came in size 22, 24. And I've been, main, God's been maintaining a size eight for me um, for the last two and a half years, I guess. And thank, thank God. I'm, I'm real grateful to God for my abstinence. Um, and, you know, some I think it was Terrell or somebody was saying earlier about how we all have our own path in this program. And my path is that, Early on, I think I was just really, really broken and really, really beaten um, into submission and into surrender before I came into the rooms. And so by the time I got here, I was just really ready to do anything that anybody told me to do. And what I heard over and over again in meetings, um, you know, is that you keep coming back and that you be of service, and that you work the 12 steps. And I, I heard that over and over, especially about the 12 steps. I never heard anybody who was abstinent and um, physically recovered, I never heard them say, oh, I don't work the 12 steps. I never heard that. So it was real clear to me um, that working the 12 steps was something that I needed to do if I wanted to have recovery. And I got blessed early on by um, I started attending this, this big book workshop I was like a month abstinent and I got into this big into this big book workshop with this crusty alcoholic guy who had been doing this workshop for eighteen years. He was he was like kinda of crusty and grouchy and I don't know how to you know, he's just you know, um but he'd been doing this workshop for eighteen years and um he didn't really care what I felt or he didn't really care what I thought, you know, he didn't he he just He was there to carry the message that's in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and um, that's what saved his life, and that's what saved saved my life, Um, and so I'm a big book kind of a girl today. My solution for my problem is in the Big Book, and I work the steps as they're outlined in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I don't add much to that. This is just me. I don't add much to the Big Book, and I don't take anything... Out of the big book, to the best of my ability, I follow. I follow the um, steps as they're outlined in the book. So, I was like a little hesitant to speak because I'm like three years. You know, what do I what do I have at three years? But you know, I can share my experience with um, the inventory process that's outlined in the big book. I've done, uh, you know, I've I've done several inventories now, because I kept going to that workshop over and over, and I still go to it, and um, I've done several inventories, and um, I always think this, because this is just one of the many miracles that happened for me in this program, is that the obsession to overeat and to eat inappropriate foods really was lifted for me. And has remained gone after I gave away my fourth step. So um, if you've been around and you haven't done a fourth step or if it's frightening to you or whatever, all I can share with you is that in my experience, when I gave away my fourth step and I gave it away to this beautiful lady here, Roz is my sponsor, and it's a real honor to be on a panel with Roz. But when I gave it away and poor Roz, it was very long, very lengthy, and she had to listen, you know, but... After I gave it away, and I, I didn't anticipate this. I wasn't planning on it. I wasn't looking like, well, is the obsession gone? It wasn't like that at all. But shortly after that, I noticed that the obsession was lifted, and I wasn't afraid of food anymore. I, I didn't. It, it was It was just gone. It was just gone. And the way I marked that time is that... Um, I was writing my fourth step during the season where Halloween is, and I remember that I was so afraid of Halloween because always all the other Halloweens, you know, I had eaten all the candy that we'd have in the house for the the kids to come to the door to trick-or-treat. That was just always a really big binge time, and so we couldn't have any candy in the house that Halloween. That was the first Halloween probably ever in my life that I didn't have candy. But I was afraid to have it in the house. I think I would have eaten it. I gave away my four steps sometime before Thanksgiving. I don't remember the exact date. So between Halloween and Thanksgiving, um, I gave away my four steps and after that, that fear of food was gone, I have a teenager, he has candy in the house now, it doesn't bother me, there's ice cream and cakes and cookies, they're not mine, they don't call my name, I don't, you know, I eat three moderate meals a day, I've been doing that for three years and the obsession is gone, and I, and I really do owe that directly to a, a searching and fearless inventory. So, um, so the way I do the inventory, I guess I'm being redundant, but I do it the way the book tells me to do, and I start with my resentments because the book tells me that, that um, I've been living my life walking around selfishly and self-centeredly. That's what they told me in the third step. That's what they tell me is the root of my trouble, you know, and that that, that I'm self-will run riot, and that's how I've been living my life. And if I want to be free, then I have to get rid of my selfishness and self-centeredness. You know, we make this decision, we make a decision in the third step to turn our will, which is our thinking, you know, and our instincts to turn our will and our lives, which for me is my action, over to God's care and guidance. That We make that decision in the third step, but a decision doesn't really do you any good unless you follow it up with some action. It's just a decision. And if I make a decision to turn my thinking and turn my life and turn my will over to God's care and God's guidance and God's direction, for me that means I work the rest of the steps. So... You know, you practice step three all the time. I practice it, you know, daily, but making that decision doesn't do any good unless I follow it up with the action. So I launched right into the fourth step. And and the book says that we launched into a course of vigorous action, if I'm quoting accurately. Yeah, we launched. Next, we launched out on a course of vigorous action. And you know, when I think about launching, that's like a rocket ship or something, right? It's 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 speedy. It's not like I'm going to take two years to do a four-step. It's not like I'm going to take, you know, you know. And it's, and it tells me the book is very specific. This book gives me specific, clear-cut directions of what to do. If 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 I'm working with someone who, who's done it and who can show me what they've done, it, it's pretty clear. So it tells me that the first thing I'm going to do, because I'm, you know, I see that resentments, these angers, these re-feelings, like resentment means to re-feel, you know, you're re-feeling all this anger all the time and you're thinking about what somebody did to you all the time and you, you know, it's your anger, it's your, you know, your your ill feelings about people. It tells me that I'm going to list all those, so I, you know, I have a form. You can, you know, there's bunches of formats out there, you could use a blank piece of paper. But I list all of the people. I listed all of the people that I was mad at, that I was pissed off at, that I had ill feelings about. That's all I have to do at first is list them. I list all those names. And for me, listing those names right away, that showed me something about me because I was like, God, I'm mad at a lot of people. And if you had told me I was an angry person, I probably would have would have said, I'm not very angry. I always walked around with a smile on my face. And people who knew me probably said, oh, she no, Marcy, she's not very angry. But I had, I don't know, Rosie, a hundred. Did I have a hundred? Reason? I probably had, I, I, I think I had a hundred. You know, a hundred. I, I had a list, I'm telling you. like, yeah. You know, so this, this, this book, it was long. This book is all about helping me to find my truth. You know, it, it helps us to find our truth, and the truth sets us free. And one truth I saw right away when I first did that inventory was that I was pissed off at a bunch of people. And then I go to the second column, and the, co- the second column says we ask ourselves why. This part's easy, you know. This is, <laughs> this, this is not the, the part, you know, the book says it's simple but not easy. This stuff is easy. Telling why I was mad at them was very easy. So I write down, you know, my mother, why she didn't protect me, she didn't love me, she didn't tell me the truth, she didn't, you know, I go on to the next person, my father, he wasn't there for me, and, you know, and I'm, why I'm pissed off. That was very, very easy, okay, you know, and as I did this, though, and when I finished that part of the list and I look at that part, you know, I see something else because I could see, for me, that I wasn't really mad at the person, I was mad at what they did. And if I had switched those names around, you know, and if if I had put Sharon's name for my mother, and I had said Sharon didn't love me and Sharon didn't tell me the truth, I'd be pissed at Sharon, you know, so I wasn't really mad at those people. I was mad at what they did. That was a revelation for me, and, you know, I was just mad. And whoever would have done those things to me, I would have been mad at them. You know, so more truth, it keeps coming out. And then the third column says that we ask ourselves what part of our self was hurt, threatened, or interfered with. And the basic parts of self are like your self-esteem, your pride. You know, this is the stuff we, we walk around the planet kind of being driven by. These are our motivations, our pride, our self-esteem, our pocketbook, our ambitions our sex relations, our personal relationships, I don't know if I left anything off, did um, I say pride? Those are the things that, we, that have been driving us. And I asked myself, well, what, what, which of those things were hurt, threatened, or interfered with? And I made little checks. My inventory form had check marks, and I say, okay, well, that was my pride. And that was my self-esteem. They hurt that. They interfered that. They affected that. And I make checks for all those different things. And I learned a lot about myself there, too, because the thing that came up consistently for me was the pride and the self-esteem. You know, that's what was most bothered or disturbed or interfered with for me. Somebody else, it might be your pocketbook. It might be money. Somebody else, it might be your ambitions. Somebody else, it might be that you get mad consistently when somebody interferes in your sex relations. For me, the the motivating thing, the driving thing was that pride and that self-esteem, you know, which was, was real low for me. I didn't have a good opinion of myself. But I wanted you to think good of me, so, you know, that was that pride stuff. I cared a whole bunch about what other people thought of me. A whole bunch. And that was revealed to me just in the third column, you know. I hadn't even done that much work, you know. But that was revealed to me, doing it in that method. And then here comes the hard part, though. Here comes the hard part. Because it says in the book, and this was so me. Sometimes when I read the big book, I'm like, God, did they just know me somehow? You know, like, were they spying on me? Because it says... It says, to conclude that others were wrong was as far as most of us ever got. And that was for sure me, because that's all I ever did was conclude that other people were wrong. And I never, ever, never looked at my part, never, never, but the book says this is what I have to do. So we have to go back through our lives, nothing counted but thoroughness and honesty. And when I was finished, I was supposed to consider it carefully. So that's those first three columns. I haven't looked at my part yet. I'm considering carefully the first three columns. It says the first thing apparent was that this world and its people were often quite quite wrong. I could really agree with that. Yeah. (laughs) I had no problem there. (laughs) To conclude that others were wrong was as far as most of us ever got. Yeah, that was me. The usual outcome was that people continued to wrong us, and we stayed sore. Sometimes it was remorse, and then we were sore at ourselves. Yeah, I was mad at myself sometimes, too, but most of the time I was mad at other people. You know, the book, and this is, this is my favorite paragraph in the book, and I don't know why, but this, that phrase, sunlight of the Spirit, just speaks to me, and it tells me, it is plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness. Futility, having no useful purpose. I didn't have any, you know, all that time I spent being mad at people and thinking about what they had done to me, it was wasted time. It was futile. It didn't help anything, and it certainly led to unhappiness. But worse than that, worse than wasting my time and worse than that making me unhappy This is what the book told me. It said that to the precise extent that we permit these, do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile. But with the alcoholic or the compulsive overeater whose hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience. I got that hope in step two. Step two gave me that hope. So my hope is the maintenance and the growth of a spiritual experience this business of resentment is infinitely grave grave means it's going to kill me we found that it is fatal for the harboring for when harboring such feelings we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit and the insanity of overeating or alcohol returns and we drink again or overeat again and with us to drink or overeat is to die so when i keep all that mad stuff in me, when I keep all that in me, I'm shutting myself off from God's sunlight. My body is like a harbor. My body is a harbor. And you know, if my body is all clogged up with yachts of resentment and tugboats of it doesn't matter. Like people say, well that's just a little resentment. It doesn't matter if it's a little kayak. If it's in my harbor You know? If it's in my harbor, the sun can't get through. And then you know how a harbor looks when the water is just still and stuff hasn't been moving around a lot? And that water, you wouldn't want to get in that water and swim, right? It's all murky and mushy and that green stuff is in there and it's, you know? And the sunlight can't come through. It's dark. And that's what happens to my mind. That's what happens to my spirit, my soul. If I harbor resentments, if I make my body, my mind, my thinking, a harbor for all this stuff, God can't get in. God can't God can't come into a mind that's filled with anger and resentment. God can't come in. And I need God. Why do I need God? Because I want to recover from eating myself to death. I have to have God because I couldn't do it myself. And, you know... But other people could be mad. Like normal people, if they want to be mad, that's okay. It's not going to make them eat themselves to death. It's not going to make them drink themselves or drug themselves or whatever to death. They're just going to be mad, you know. But for me, I have to have God. And when I'm mad like that, I block out God. So I have to look at this thing from an entirely different angle. And that's the hard part. That's That's the hard part. It was easy to see what every. It was easy to see what everybody else did to hurt me, to to piss me off. That part was easy. The hard part is when I have to look at what I did. When I have to look at it from an entirely different angle. And the the people that wrote this book, they knew that was going to be hard. So they know you got to have some prayer and you have to have God's help because you're not going to be able to do any of this stuff on your own. So it says that I have to turn back to the list for it held the key to the future. We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. And reading on, I'm skipping a little bit. It says, we saw these resentments must be mastered. But how? I couldn't wish them away any more than I could wish my overeating away. So here's my course. They give me a course I have to follow. That's a very direct route, right? A course is something you follow. It says, I have to realize that the people who wronged me were spiritually sick. Shit, I never thought about that, you know. I knew I was spiritually sick. By this time, it was clear to me I was spiritually sick. But now I have to realize, I have to make it real in my consciousness that those people were spiritually sick, too. Too. That's an important word for me. Not they're spiritually sick, I'm well. They're spiritually sick, too, just like me. They're running on their instincts, their pride, their self-esteem, their whatever, just like I was running on mine. And it tells me, though I did not like their symptoms and the way they disturbed me, they, like me, were sick too. So here's the prayer. We ask God to help us. I have to ask God to help me. And a lot of people say, like when you're resentful, that you pray for the person. But that's not what the book says, not in this part of the book. The book says, I'm praying for myself. I'm asking God to help me. We ask God to help me, help us, show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that I would cheerfully grant a sick friend. I'm asking God to help me. I'm not praying for them at this point. I'm praying for myself. I'm asking God to help me to show them the same tolerance, Pity and patience, I would cheerfully grant a sick friend. Ooh, I'm still on resentments and I only have five minutes.
2: <coughs> so, you know, it
1: says I'm supposed to pray. This is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? And I had to pray that for everybody on my list. I had to pray that for everybody on my list. And those resentments kind of go away a little bit, but you still got to do some more writing. But that prayer helps a lot. But then I ha- now I have to look at it. And these are the questions that I had to ask myself in that fourth and final column. What did I do, if anything? What did I do, if anything, to set that ball rolling to cause them to do something to me? What did I do? Where was I to blame, if at all? Where was I at fault? And I had to write it down. What did I do? Oh, maybe I lied to them too. Maybe I cheated. Whatever. I have to ask myself, where? Was I selfish, thinking only of myself, not willing to see their other part, not willing to see their point of view? You know, where was I selfish? Where was I self-seeking? You know, self-seeking are, are my actions. You know, did I gossip about them? Did I lie to them? You know, did I snub them? Where was I dishonest? That was a lot. You know, did I lie to them? Was I expecting from them? something that I wasn't myself able to give, that's dishonesty, right? We call that hypocrisy, you know, when when I want people to do something that I can't even do. That's dishonest. Where was I afraid? Oh, boy, that was on all of them. I have to ask myself, and I have to answer all those questions in the fourth column, you know. And doing that, that shows me the exact nature, the nature of my wrongs. My, the nature of my wrongs are that I'm selfish, I'm self-seeking, I'm dishonest, and I'm afraid. And then I'm ready to move on to the fear inventory, which is done very similarly. I list all my fears, and I have to ask myself those questions. I love the fear prayer. The fear prayer says that perhaps there's a better way. Now we're on a different basis. We're trusting and relying on God instead of relying on my finite self. I'm relying on infinite God. And I ask God to remove my fears, remove my fears, and direct my attention to what he would have me be. That's the fear period. I know that one by heart because I do that one all the time. I'm scared more than I'm mad today. I still get scared, and I still use that prayer. And I love that it says that we ask God to direct our attention to what he would have us be. And I used to get that mixed up, and I thought it meant I had to do something. No. What would he have me be? you know, kind or patient or those aren't doing things, those are being things. Perhaps he would have me be courageous. Perhaps he would have me be more accepting. What would he have me be? That's the fear prayer. You know, and I got all that down on paper and I, I learned a lot about myself doing a fear inventory. I think I had as many fears as I had resentment, <laughs> you know. And and then we move on to, to a review of Our sex conduct and the the questions on the sex inventory, I think people get it mixed up and they think they have to tell like every little sexual act they had or every partner. But the book is real specific. It says, who did you hurt? That's the question. We review our sex conduct and we ask ourselves, whom did I hurt? So you don't have to tell everything you ever did in bed and what and, you know, at the park. No, no. That, you might have been of service. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, but the questions on the sex inventory are where, where was I selfish? Once again, you know, where was I dishonest? Where was I afraid? You know, did I arouse jealousy and bitterness? Those are the questions that we ask ourselves when we review our sex conduct. You know, who did I hurt? And we ask God, there's a prayer for the sex inventory. We ask God to help us mold our ideals, you know, and live the way we think that God would want us to live. So my time is up, and thank you so much for letting me be of service, and I can't wait to hear Rosie. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.
0: And our second speaker is Roz from Laguna Niguel.
3: Hi, my name is Roz. I'm a really grateful compulsive overeater. Marcy knows the big book by heart. <laughs> I don't. But I'm gonna tell you my experience, strength, and hope with the force steps. Okay, okay, my water, please.
2: Thank you. Okay.
3: Before I talk about the four-step, let me tell you how I got to the four-step, because I didn't jump in the program on May 26, 1987, and just do the four-step. Um, I came in here, and I was dying, and I had a, had a heart attack. I had angina. I had liver disease. I weighed 350 pounds, and I had diabetes, and the doctors gave me six months to live, And I crawled in these doors and literally was dying. I could barely walk or breathe, and I got into Oritas Anonymous at a meeting in Marina Del Rey and got up those 12 steps, taking these pills to keep me alive, and I had been abstinent. It doesn't count, but I had been locked myself in the house for two weeks, so I couldn't go to the market to get sugar, and um, and I started then. And Started into really got some deep outside help to find out what what had happened to me. So when I picked up the big book, I didn't understand it because <laughs> I, was, I was so ill mentally and physically and spiritually. And my first, uh, I did the first three steps, really got into that, the first three steps. I did that. But I couldn't do the fourth step the way it was written. My first fourth step, I couldn't do it the way it was written in this book. I couldn't get it that way. I just couldn't. And everybody kept telling me to do it that way, but I couldn't. And my sponsor finally said, do it the way you can, just any way, but just get that resentment out. Because I was breaking things, throwing things, hanging up on people. I screamed. I yelled. I was a lunatic. Uh, You should hear what my son had to say how I was. I don't want, I put my mouth was like a vegetable slice or something like that. I was really bad. I was really, really, really. Actually, today he says to me, you know, Mom, you have so many things happen to you in your childhood. It's a wonder that you're alive today. And that, well, he loves me because I have changed so completely in 18 years. And that's the grace of God in this program. And um, my body was filled with resentment, anger, shame, and guilt. That's what I was like. That's the body that was around me. You know, 200 pounds stayed off. and stayed off of me for 18 years. But that was I can't afford resentment in my life, or to be angry. Thank you. With God, with God, until so my first first inventory was by lot. I just did it by my first five years, my second five years, and that's the way I did it. It was like 50 pages. It could have been a novel. I don't think anybody would have bought it. (laughs) And um, I was shocked myself because I always lived in fairy tales. I didn't know what had happened to me. I found out I was an incest survivor, and it was more than that. That happened in six years with my uncle. And so I'm going to skip my sex inventory because you really don't want to hear it. It could be a TV movie. And um, then, and after um, a few years, I was able to do uh, the inventory and in the big book. But uh, I had to do the other steps first and find out what had happened. But today I can do the big book inventory. Today I get to see my part and see everyone's part. Today I know that I cannot afford to be mad. I cannot afford to be resentful, and I have to see my part and there is not one person in the entire world that I have resentment about. But when I do get mad, when I do get angry, and I do, I can write about it immediately and let it go. And I end up to be friends with that person again, or at least to go to her or him and say, I'm really sorry that I did that to you. But it doesn't happen very often anymore. It doesn't happen that I open my mouth and do that. Because I had the biggest mouth you could ever believe. It was like, I would, you know, I spent 51 years of my life before I got here. I spent 35 years of morbid obesity. That's a lot of resentment. A lot of years wasted. I wasted all those years not even being in touch with reality. And my kids grew up like that. And, uh, of Anonymous saved my life. It saved my life. It taught me. It, I grew up here at 51. I learned how to put makeup on. I learned how to say, see, I used to say I'm sorry just so people would like me, just so my father might love me. Now today when I say I'm sorry it's because I did something to hurt someone's feelings, because maybe I was thinking something in my heart. Today I don't judge people. Today I don't look at someone the wrong way. with, you know. Today I know that I'm God's child and I do service for others. And I learned that through this books, through the big books and the 12 steps. And so what I write down I'm angry at or I'm hurt, my feelings are hurt, and I write down why and the cause and what's my part. I usually always have a part. And when I came here 18 years ago, I wrote a list so long with Marcy and I didn't have a part in anything. I didn't even have a character defect. And anyone, that, is there anybody new here? Today and it's never done a four step. Well, I was gonna leave Anonymous before I did a four step because no, nobody was gonna know my truth. I stole. I had to go back to markets and tell them I stole. The first person I heard that said that was this really wonderful man who's here today that stole from Mayflower, Mayflower Market. And I had a Mayflower Market in Clover City and I didn't know there was another Mayflower Market and I loved when he shared and I had not done my inventory, and I remember I had to go back to that market, and I had to go to a brand new, uh, oh, I stole oatmeal, no, crab raisins. I was eating them all over the market, and I had to go back to the market and buy a ton of them, and then give it to the ma- manager, my sponsor was Kathy Pagoda. I stole a while I was in, I had just done my first two steps, and I ate them again. And I had to go back to the cashier and say, these are the raisins. I st- I ate these raisins. And he said, well, why are you, why, why, take them? I said, no, I can't. I stole them, ate them in the market. He said, we've been warning you. We've been f- trying to find the person who ate these raisins. <laughs> I said, I said, uh, you don't understand. I'm not joking. I really did eat these raisins. And I can't, and I can't take them back. And please please take this money. I think I gave him over $20. And he said, well, it's not $20. They don't weigh this much. I go, please take this to the market. And I said to Kathy, I can't do that. I know the manager. she said, got the purpose, honey. You know the manager. Just go see him. And you know what? That was when I was in program. I was eating those races. So I've done a lot of things. And uh, this is the first time I shared that. That's good. I needed to do that. and um and i never do that again that was a good learning lesson for me and i had to take i had to go back to the stores that were out of business and i had to learn how to give the money to charity and that was you know that's later in the ninth step but on the fourth step and the fifth step i learned and I, everything came clean that i had done and then it then it sometimes you make a mistake and you do something again and you got to clean it up again and and I guess that's how I learned that nothing's perfect and I'm not perfect and there's nobody I can look up to that's perfect. And, you know, and I kept learning and I kept falling down. I had to keep getting up again. But I think the fourth step brought me so much humility because I told, I told every single thing that I'd ever done, like light a fire and burn out my grandmother's garage. And I had never told one single person that until I was 51 years old. That was a horror story for me. Everything they ever owned was in that garage, and I almost killed six people. And I never told anybody I, I I was eight years old. I went across the street, sat down and pretended like nothing happened, and then people called the fire engines, and they asked me if I did it, and I said, no, I would never do that. And um, my family called me the bad seed, and I took that to be true. And then I acted out. Sort of eight years old So I got here. That's a long time, 51 years. And, uh, you know, doing the fourth and fifth step was a spiritual experience for me because then I was free. Then I got the freedom I always wanted. And my part was a big part in all of it. I never knew that I had a part. I always thought I was a victim. And being a victim means, oh, I'm sitting here, pour me, pour me, pour me, pour me another malt. Because the more I thought it was a, the more I thought I was a victim, the more I ate. I, the, more I, the more sorry I used to feel for myself, the more I ate. I ate, ate, ate till I ruined my body. I have my second pacemaker, and I'm having a problem right now with my heart. They're gonna check me out Monday. All I can tell you is, it led me into the gates of insanity, almost died. It took away part of my life with my kids. Today I get to be there with my kids and my grandchildren because God gave me a gift. But I had to stop eating and put down that fork. And that's what the fourth step's about, honesty and the grace of God that he got me to the fourth step. Because I told my husband, I'm leaving here. I'm never going to do a fourth step. No one's ever going to know that I was in jail for a few hours because I stole food. And I don't even know if I've ever shared that. But I did. I stole food out of the market and they caught me because I was going to have a barbecue and I had to have the best steak for the barbecue. A shop. The truth is the truth. A subway market and I said, do you have to put the cuffs on me? Everybody's good. People might see me, my neighbors. So I was really sick. It, this is the sickness of the mind, body, and spirit. Oh my God, are these taped? <laughs> and you know what? It is okay to it's Because that was my truth. It really was. That's how sick I was. Very, very sick. Puppy, not even a puppy. A big dog. (laughs) Big. And you know what? It was. It was. That's what happened here. I got healed. And what I had to do was go back and open up all the wounds that never healed. I never would think of doing that. and and again I went with an empty purse so today I would urge you to do your steps do your fourth step because that's the beginning of a total surrender and healing and all the way to steps I I do an inventory all the time and every night I do a 10th step and I do my eleven step and I do my steps
4: (laughs) and I would not be
3: here today if it wasn't for doing those steps and being honest and boy have I been honest today (coughs) one of my sponsors went you don't have to share all that at a meeting but you know what for my 18th birthday that was a few weeks ago I shared it all all I can tell you is that God gave me a gift of saving my life and I get to share it here. And Marcy, you are a delight and we're all miracles because we're sitting in the room today. And that if anyone needs to help with the fourth step, i help you because if we don't do a fourth step, we're gonna get stuck right into a victim's role. That's what I wanted to do because it took me to the end of, it took me to my second year to do the fourth step. It, cause I didn't want to tell anybody the truth and why. If I was a newcomer, I would do what my sponsor says. Get a sponsor and do it the way she tells you. Do it. Do that fourth step. It'll free you. It'll free you to go forward. Or else I would have gotten stuck if I had the urge to keep doing it. Because there's no secret that's really a secret. Because you keep it inward. And I didn't die from the feelings. And Monty didn't die from the feelings. And you're gonna see there's people in this room that have long term absence that didn't die from the feelings. No one dies from feelings, but we die from the secrets and the sickness that this does to us. We have a disease that's cunning, baffling, and powerful. And believe me, I almost died. I lived in the darkness of hell and this program has brought open the gates of heaven for me. I'm gonna sit down now. Thanks.
2: and thank
0: We'll now have 10 minutes of questions Thank you. from the Ask It basket. Um, let's see. Okay. Um, some of them are repeats. So I kind of put them together. So here we go. Um, the first one is addressed to Marcy, and then the second one is basically the same question. Um, when doing the resentment inventory, I come up with a seemingly seamless, endless string of resentments. When do I call it quits? Where do I draw the line? And the next one is, how do you know when you're finished? So pretty much the same.
1: Well, um, the book says that nothing counts but thoroughness and honesty, and that we go back through our lives. Um, if, I guess the flip side of that, if you're going on and on and on and it's taking you years just to finish the list part, then at some point, cut it off for for now and move on to the second, third, and fourth, and some people do a fifth column. You know, at some point, if you're only listing the people you're mad at and you're never, never able to move to the part where you're looking at yourself, that's not going to get you better. So... Um, you know, at some point stop, because in the book it says this is a lifetime process. You know, we continue to take inventory all the time. So I, I don't know if, if if that's the question, that you can't stop listing the resentments, get the really big ones out on paper, you know, the really troublesome ones, um, and then move on to the rest of the inventory, because the part that frees you is not, the part where you're looking at who you're mad at, the part that frees you is when you get to see who you are, the exact nature of your wrongs. And so I would say at some point cut off. If if you've been doing that for more than a month, probably stop and move on to the second, third, and fourth columns. Did I answer all of it?
0: Okay, the next question is, have you ever been at a standstill when working on your inventory or any other steps? How do you get started up again? That's for you, Rob. Okay,
3: have you ever been at a standstill when writing on your inventory? Yeah, I was at a standstill with the fourth step. When I got to, like three-fourths all the way, I, it was hard for me to finish the end because I did the one. I did the ones that were easiest first, so the last part was about my the um, incest issues the incest part if that was hard it was very uh hard, but I knew I had to finish it, so I prayed a lot and I stayed up for nights doing it because I wanted to get it done, and I wanted to get to my truth and um and i did it. i stayed up I did it like all day and night, I just did it, and took time in between that part was hard, but I wanted to, to finish because I already had uncovered the truth. And I knew that if I didn't do it, it would do me in. So um, I did. I didn't get stuck in any other steps because I was really willing to go to any lengths to do it and to finish it. I knew it was really important for my recovery. And. Um, I was having a really hard time then and I needed to get, done. not a hard time with the food, hard time emotionally. I knew I really needed to get done and so I just asked God to help me. I'm always asking God to help me. And God always does. He's always there for me. So that's, that's the answer. Thank
0: you. What do you do with anger and how do you deal with it? Either one. in the beginning
3: i was taught to hit the bed just pound 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 the bed till the crying came up that's how i grieve cuz i grieve a lot cause my husband is very very ill and we're married 52 years and it's really hard for me right now and um so so i get sometimes i get angry that this has happened and so i cry that's how i get rid of it cuz grieving Grieving is sadness, and grieving is sadness, anger. And um, for me, it's hitting the bed with my hand, not getting it on anyone else, not displaced anger I've already been through that 18 years ago. So I'll just hit the bed and cry and get it out, and I write. And that's how I do it. I don't take anger out on people anymore, thank God. And I don't take it out in driving and I hit the bed and I cried out. I, I cry a lot. I just cried before I came in the room. It's, it's, and it's healthy crying. It's grieving. You know, grieving for my, for my husband, the way things, the way things were. He's not the same anymore. And um, and I hit the bed. She, she, I got taught how to just hit the bed. And then the crying comes up. And then I can do that and I get the anger out and the crying and so I'm not angry anymore, and then I write. I write I write almost every day, sometimes more than that, I'm always writing. And that helps me to deal with the anger.
1: I guess I would just add to what Roz says that, um, you know, the book tells me clearly what to do with anger. I put it on paper. Bill W., the the main author of the big book, liked to use, like, different words for the same thing. So, you know, when he talks about resentment, it's not really any different than anger. He's talking about He calls it grudges. He just liked to be, he was kind of a creative writer. So anger, resentment, all that stuff, it's the same thing, and the book says, if I was to live, I need to be free of anger, so when when I get mad about stuff, I put it on paper. You know, I put it on paper. I'm mad at you know, and and um, another thing that's been real helpful to me on page 551, there's a story is freedom from bondage, and a lot of people like to use that for resentment, and but when you carefully read the story. The young lady who wrote the story had resentments that wouldn't, she couldn't get free of, and she tells in the story that she had done an inventory. So for people where I had done an inventory and I still couldn't be free of the anger, you know, I had looked at my part, but I was still mad. For those people then a suggestion that helped me a lot when somebody gave it to me was that, you know, you pray for those people and you pray for them to have every good and wonderful thing that you want for yourself, and that even when you don't mean it, you pray it, and the suggestion in that story is that you pray it for two weeks, and that you, and, and that worked for me. I was real mad about my mom for something, you know, and um, I couldn't get free of that, even though I had looked at my part, and I could see my part, but I just still was mad, but I just started to pray for my mom in that way, and it was gone before two weeks, you know. So. You know, the main thing that the book tells me is that I can't afford it. Rosie said that, too. We can't afford it. It'll kill us. It'll kill us. So, you know. Oh, another one for me. Oh, which prayer is the fear prayer? I think it's page 68. I'll get the book. Anytime in the book, if it says we ask God, that's a prayer. So that used to confuse me because I'd say, well, if it doesn't say prayer, maybe I'm not. Maybe, But if it says we ask God, that's what prayer is. You ask God, right? So on page 68, it says, perhaps there is a better way. We think so, for we are now on a different basis, the basis of trusting and relying upon God. We trust infinite God rather than our finite selves. We, sorry, there's, I'm reading too much. It, it starts there. The prayer is we ask Him to remove our, prayer, our fear and direct our attention to what He would have us be. That's on page 68. So that's the prayer. We ask God to remove our fear and to direct our attention to what he would have us be. And the book promises at once we commence to outgrow fear. And you know when we outgrow stuff, like we outgrew clothes, I was an expert at that, it takes time, you know, but we outgrow fear. It doesn't just leave immediately,
0: but we outgrow it. This one's kind of along the same lines. How do you handle the fears you still can't face?
3: That's a good one. Because I don't handle them. I don't. I take them and I give them to God. And what one of my sponsors taught me to live in, in the moment. Because if I live more than one moment after, I, I won't be able to live. Especially what's going on in my life financially and with health, I every morning I ask God in my prayers to grant me patience, tolerance, kindness, compassion, and faith. I take the fears and I go, fear unto faith, fear unto faith, that's my mantra. I, change, I have a mantra all day long, I change it. I talk to God all day, I have, if you ever see me walking around going, don't think I'm crazy, it's my mantra. And um but if I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, and you know what? I don't want to know. When we had a lot of money years ago, my husband used to worry. And now we don't have anything, and I don't worry. Because that means I'm not doing the third step if I worry. So now, every day, for 24 for for the day, I stay on the moment. My car drives, I have a roof over my head, I'm, I'm okay, my kids are okay, my granddaughters are okay, and my husband's okay for today, and he has medicines. And all I know is I have to stay in the moment, I have to ask God to remove our... If, with faith, everything's possible. Without faith, nothing's possible. And I've learned that from all of you that taught me to have faith. And if I believe, like I do believe, And everything's possible and I'm going to stay with that belief that God is going to take care of me because if I don't stay for that and I go the other way I'll be just that road I had before 18 years ago when I was such a wreck and I had to stuff my mouth so I wouldn't feel so I would feel fear all the time I don't want to go that way I learned faith is here I learned God is here I don't want to go back to the fears of yesterday. So I stay in a moment. They say, every day I'm handing a gift. That gift includes faith in God. And I'm a person who didn't even believe God when I got here. God is everything to me. He's dropped me this far. He's not going to drop me now. And he gives me the tools to deal with it as it comes. That's how I deal with it. I don't have, there is no fear. But I'm not supposed to handle fear. God does for me. So, that's how I do it.
0: I'm going to combine these two together since we're running out of time. I have difficulty forgiving myself. How can I truly let go of my past mistakes? And the other one is, what's the best way to let go of a resentment? Uh,
1: The best way to let go of the resentment do the inventory as outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It, it tells you, you know, this is our course. And then they tell you step by step what to do. And you'll let it go. It may take some time, you know, but that's the best way. And for me, the best way, In for I have difficulty forgiving myself. How can I truly let go of my past mistakes, work the 12 steps? I really believe that because we straighten out emotionally, spiritually, physically, and when you're straightened out emotionally, you no longer have difficulty forgiving yourself because you, the inventory gives you that gift of you can see other people are sick like you, and I, kinda, I could begin to forgive myself because I became willing to forgive other people, you know, and I, I think just working the 12 steps, things began to fall into place, and I no longer regret the stuff I did. It just happens as a result of working the steps. Not just the fourth step, but all of the steps, you, know. you.
0: Um, There is some questions that are not answered yet, so if your question was one that was not answered, please see them after. But right now, it's time for open sharing. We will have time for three shares. If you have already shared another, at another workshop, please give others a chance before coming forward. Limit your share to three minutes, stay on the topic, and then sign the tape release form after you share. Who would like to come up and share?
4: I'm Michael Lawn, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Michael. Hi. And um, I was just inspired to come up. I just wanted to thank Marcy and Roz, because they have once again inspired... They have once again inspired me to be reminded about what a joy and pleasure is the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's why I need to go to meetings, because I forget. I lose perspective. I forget about having to go to Mayfair Market and make my amends for the food that I stole. I forget those things. When I'm out working, when I'm out in the real world, I forget what it was like to be almost 300 pounds. I forget what it was like 20 years ago. I forget that my first sponsor shook out his hand at me and said, Michael, I am going to let you down. I want you to know that. But God and the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous will never let you down. So he had me put my reliance upon those things rather than put my reliance upon him. And he went out. And he's about 500. No, that's a lie. He's about 380 pounds right now, my first sponsor. And he said, if that ever happens to me, it'll be because, not because somebody let me down, but was because I stopped making myself available to what is in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. So um, I'm just tickled. I'm just tickled pink. Um, I just feel so much better. I feel so much lighter. Um, And I'm reminded that, and a friend of mine was next to me, that I don't write enough. As my one of my friends used to say, I don't ride unless my back is up against the wall and the wall is on fire.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
4: and um, so um, it's uh, inspired me, and I think that's the greatest experience, strength, and hope that anyone can share is when they have the ability to inspire another to take action. So thank you. <laughs> time, Please come forward. We still have time.
5: Hi, my name is ellen and i'm a compulsive overeater um thank you so very much for your inspiring shares i have great love for you both so thank you um i just wanted to share that because of doing my 4 step and being in program i changed the relationship in my family totally around Uh, my mother-in-law and i were at odds we weren't speaking then, if they came by the house, she wouldn't come in. She would wait in the car. And I was in such pain and in such torment. And I couldn't stand it anymore. And I went to her, and I made a bend. And I said, and I had never been able to do that. I was always, you know, there's a the kind of, I hate you. And then five minutes later, they love you again. I was always the one who would hold on to the resentments and, um Keep everything inside of me. I would never disrespect an authority figure. And I went up there, and my husband and my father-in-law couldn't believe. We started talking, and then we started yelling at each other. And they didn't know what to make of it, but thank goodness they allowed it and didn't interfere with us, and um, we cleared the air. We did it a second time because... It was just an onion, and there was so many more layers that we had to go through for, I don't know, 30 years of uh, relationship, which had deteriorated from something that was beautiful. And now we look at each other, and we say, I love you, and we mean it. We hug each other. I helped her. Um, sorry, when she was very ill. I took care of her. And I did it with love. I know who she is. I know what her faults are. And that's okay. I don't have to take her inventory. And I don't have to judge her anymore. I can just love her for who she is. And it's because I work the steps. It has totally changed my life. Thank you.
0: Lots of time for
6: pitches. Hi, I am Megan, compulsive overeater, bulimic. I have never spoke in front of so many people in my life, <laughs> so bear with. A um, uh, situation uh, just happened to me right here at this uh, this uh, OA uh, convention that I never thought would be uh, possible or happen to me and I have gone through such a, a range of emotions I am just drained right now uh, but uh, for my little group that I'm from in Lompoc uh, which is just north of Santa Barbara it's the tiniest little town that you've ever uh, probably would pass through No one goes to Lompoc. They pass through Lompoc. Um, Anyway, I am the uh, treasurer for the group, and we are such a tiny group. uh, It took us forever to save the amount of money that we have in our group uh, for our literature. So I brought the money with us so we could buy our books here today, and it was in my little bag, my little folder, in my book bag. And I went to use the ladies' room earlier today, and I left my book bag in the restroom by accident and went to other meetings and other workshops and forgot about it completely. And when I did realize what I had done, I went right over to uh, Mark, our wonderful security person, and told him what had happened. And within seconds, just seconds, another lady came up and, with the bag that she had found that bag. And I was just rolling around with that right there. That was a lot to deal with. And joking around, he said, oh, you, something about checking, make sure you have all your stuff in it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I should probably check to see if the money's in there. You know, it just it didn't occur to me. I looked in there, and the money was gone. $164, which for Lompoc is a million dollars. We are a tiny group. It took forever to save that money. And I just didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know it just the feelings I, I, that I've been going through. So I wrote them down real quick. I started out with uh, blaming myself. It was my fault. I left the book back there. Um, uh, I was irresponsible. Um, and I started internalizing, which is my way, which is my truth. If there's uh, something that goes wrong in a situation, I am to blame for for this. I don't blame others. I blame myself. So I started beating myself up for it. And I turned to Mark and I told him what had happened. Instead of My first reaction was run to my room and isolate myself. But I didn't. And and for the grace of God, I turned to Mark and I told him what had happened. And I just started crying. And right away, he just said, let's say the serenity prayer. And we said it about five or six times right there, just over and over and over. And then I, I realized... I was powerless over the situation. I really couldn't do anything about it. And at that point, I just I just let out a big sigh of relief um, that I can't change this. It's not mine to change. And I gave it to God, which was very hard to do for me. And uh, then Mark and I uh, decided to pray for that person. Which I, At first, I didn't want to pray for that sister person because I was feeling victimized. I was feeling anger, hatred, rage. How dare you? How could you? And then I said, what a sick person. And I realized where I was. (laughs) We're at a convention where I'm surrounded, and myself included, with sick people. And so we completely turned it around from, uh, first it was me, then it was that person, and then we turned it into well, let's pray for that person. Let's not be angry at them. Let's pray in hope that they they get well and um, possibly turn that money back in, maybe after thinking or, you know, I'm, I'm not going to put myself in their life. I don't know why they did it, but hopefully that they would turn it back in. And uh, then Mark suggested I go talk to, see um, uh, if I can remember her name, Denise. And I, I told her what, what had happened to me. And um, all I, the only reason I went there is Mark suggested maybe she could announce it at a meeting that the money was lost. And if anyone finds it, please turn it back in. And Denise, uh, out of her own pocket, gave me the amount of money that was taken from me so that we could go purchase our books, our literature. And then, so in that frame of five minutes, I have gone through so many feelings and emotions, um, everything from um, wanting to beat myself up to beat the other person up, to uh, just turning around and saying, I can't deal with the whole situation, praying for the person that took it. And then uh, the feelings of gratitude and appreciation I have for Denise right now, um, it's just overwhelming and um, I just want to share that situation with you when you think that the worst is happening to you and you're on the you know the bottom dragging your feet on the ground and the next second you can be flying high Um, I can't express right the feelings I have um anyway so I just want to share that situation and uh, Pray for that, that person and hope that they get well soon. Thank you.
0: It's now time to close this workshop. Would you please um, stand, make a circle, and we'll take a moment of silence, followed by the serenity prayer.